welcome to Bushwalker's Diary, episode number one. Here I am, Kavita Joshi, and I'm today going to interview Alex Olchin, another bushwalker, fellow bushwalker. We met uh, how many years ago, Alex? Ah, oh, a bit over two. Two years. Uh, welcome to uh, Bushwalker's Diary, Alex. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Yes, more than happy to. I'm... Uh... Very glad to be here. Very exciting. First interviewee of this uh, podcast series, and I'm hoping it uh, goes on for many years. Um, look, I love bushwalking. I always have, um, you know, throughout my uh, last number of years, been my real passion. Um, I love going out bushwalking. I also love helping other people go bushwalking. Um, so I've in the past been involved with organizations that look after clubs or been involved in the organization of clubs um, or from the conservation side in protecting the areas that we go when we go bushwalking um, so you know when I've got a bit of spare time from all that I get to go bushwalking which is good um, but yes definitely love bushwalking thank you Alex uh, so Alex has been very inspirational in the organization I also walk with and I've got to know him over the years. He has led many walks and he's very good with his uh, bushwalking skills. He has led many walks in New South Wales and I got to know a lot of areas recently walking with him, which is great. So we'll continue our interview uh, regarding his bushwalking skills and what kind of gear uh, one should take, what kind of food one should take and uh, so and so. What made you start bushwalking? Oh, maps. Maps? Can you elaborate on maps? Oh, very special maps. I saw some uh, these lovely maps that my dad had. They're um, sketch maps, they're called, by a person called Miles Dumphy, who was a great bushwalker and uh, used to be an architect and made beautiful hand-drawn maps from years and years of travelling these beautiful areas in the Blue Mountains and taking photos and drawing sketches and making these maps. That sounds very interesting. Does it mean that your dad is also in bushwalking? Yeah, yeah. He um, well, he did it as a, as a kid. His father, my grandfather, used to run the local boys' brigade and they'd go off on adventures and he has lots of interesting stories um, from those days. But, yeah, I, when I was young, started camping when I was only a couple of couple of days old and would go off bushwalking um, when I was young to places in the Megalong Valley. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's helped me uh, really get into that sort of stuff. What was your earliest memory of bushwalking, if you can recall? Um, that, that would have been going going down to the Cox's River and camping there um, with, with my mum and my dad uh, in a little tent on right on the corner of the Foxes and Breakfast Creek. And how old do you think you would have been? Uh, seven or eight, I think. Wow. So um, started so, early. Well, that was my first overnight walk. Yeah, first overnight walk. Um, I've got photos of you know being in the on the back of my dad's back in a backpack off in the mountains, but um, I don't think I was doing much walking then. But yeah, that was that was a great trip, and I, I remember at the end of the walk. Um, there's a bit of a hill that you climb up to get back to what's called Dumpy's Campground now. And I remember running up the hill 
and um, surprising everyone. It's a bit of a taste of, of you know, bushwalking. Thank you, Alex. Thing. So let's get started. And so, Alex, what would be your recent experience of bushwalking during Corona? As you can see, there's a lot of bushfire that happened last year and this year, and flood happened. So I feel there's a lot of um, change in the scenery when you go bushwalking. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, it's been really interesting. Um, initially, we had drought, which meant that a lot of areas were hard to get to and that there wasn't much water about. Um, the creeks were dry and for someone like myself, you know, really relying on the creeks, that made it really hard. Um, national parks put in place fire bans, total fire bans in a lot of parks for months. Um, you know, all reasonable, um, but it sort of changed the way bushwalking was um, for someone like myself who loves having a, a campfire at night and things like that. Um, so you had that, then the big fires came, you know, parks were off limit. We were just, you know, devast devastating. It was devastating at the time to watch. I'd watch it every day on my computer, um, look at satellite imagery and map it intensely. And um, I was even at a Christmas party uh, Bushwalkers Christmas party talking about, you know, how lucky we are to still have a few places left. And then within a week, they'd also burnt. It's just amazing how much that fire for someone that lives in Sydney and goes walking in the greater Blue Mountains um, or even up and down the coast, just how many places it impacted. It was, um, you know, essentially every walk I'd done the year prior had been burnt um, in some way. Um, but to then have parks slowly open, so some like Nadai National Park in the south opened earlier, which was great to get out. Um, it was actually a bit depressing to, to you know, it was, it was amazing in that um, to see what nature had done and, and you know, obviously in between the fires shortly after them were very large floods, big, big flooding events, um, you know, significant downpour which moved so much soil because everything had been burnt and, and was exposed and it just meant that things had changed rivers had changed um just boulders smashed and uh, a lot of the areas that you'd been able to camp on before just either washed away or, or completely different so that was really interesting to start to explore and then coronavirus came along and you know clubs and walks started shutting down and all you could do was exercise it was sort of interesting in that in some ways, you know, overnight bushwalking didn't happen much um, and people were encouraged to go, which is what I enjoy doing, people were encouraged to go to their local areas. Um, and a lot of people I spoke to actually walked in areas that they'd never walked before and learned a lot about their backyard that they didn't know before. So it was an interesting opportunity for them to explore and I even explored some, some areas that I hadn't visited myself, which was um, quite interesting. And if it wasn't for that, I probably wouldn't have. Um, and now, you know, I think you've also had a bit of an increase in bushwalking. Um, it's a bit of a change. You've got more people interested in getting out and staying healthy. And as restrictions are easing, at least now in New South Wales, people want to get out because a lot of people that, you know, work, work at home and they need to be outside and doing things. So it's really good to see people out, but it's really good to start getting out now. And, um, 
it almost feels like we're back to normal from that perspective. You know, the way that we start walks is a bit different. We don't sign on with sheets and we're probably a bit more reluctant to share happy hour and the food between each other, things of that nature, um, and keeping that social distance. But generally in the bush, you are keeping social distance. You know, I did a, a 12-day walk once and didn't see a single person. So that, I'd argue, was some pretty good social distancing or social isolation there. Um, but, you know, it's, it's obviously different for everyone and the sort of walks they do. And I've also seen areas where people are all crowded together and, you know, and, and that's not so good either. So, you know, I'm just thankful that we have our parks and places to go walking. Um, you know, I'm sure a lot of countries don't. And those people that are confined to home, you know, that, that, that'd be tough. That's true, Alex. Uh, thanks for that. And I actually went uh, with Alex on an overnight walk. We talked. He just mentioned in Natai, and it was quite devastating to see the effects after the fire. And it was pretty much black and white picture. All trees were burned, and you can see across to the valleys. Uh, in some ways, you can see a lot more than you could before. But it also has other impacts. There were a lot of trees uh, falling down on the tracks, so we had to dodge the trees go over or under uh, it was sad but in a way we also seeing gr growth in the national parks we see a lot of greenery on the trees so you see a new life everywhere which is i think um that's a hope we have for future and uh yeah so thanks alex for that If it comes to gear and food, as you know, there's so many people doing so many different things. What are the things you think about when you have to go, let's say, bushwalking tomorrow? What is the preparation you normally do for a bushwalk? Well, uh, you know, from a gear and food perspective, I generally keep it pretty simple. Um, I'm usually going a day walk or an overnight walk, maybe a couple of days, and these days, I just use all the same stuff. Um, the only difference will be if it's a day walk, I'll leave out my sleeping bag and maybe my shelter. Um, if it's overnight, I'll put them in. So my pack's always packed, uh, mostly from laziness. I'm not unpacking it, um, so it's a bit quicker to turn around the next day when I want to go bushwalking again. But it is actually quite convenient to have everything ready to go. Um, you just got to clean those dirty clothes every now and again and everything's okay. Um, from a food perspective, um, pretty simple. Uh, using things like cheese and salami and couscous uh, and then some frozen or, sorry, dehydrated uh, foods like dehydrated peas, dehydrated mushrooms work really well. Um, you can have crackers or bread with that. And, yeah, same food every day, same food, you know, lunches are all the same, dinners are all the same, breakfast all the same, same bases, which means that it's really easy to shop and I don't really have to think. I just can just have a big supply of cheese and salami in the fridge and have all my, uh, you know, non-perishables in the cupboard. Um, so regardless of how long it is, it's pretty easy to go get cracking and get some food. The thing that I mostly run out of is lollies. I like my lollies. And... Um, Often if I bought some in advance, uh, they won't last in the cupboard too long. So usually have to get that. And the other one is alcohol. I um, tend to, well, mostly when I walk with others, I'll bring something like some port. Um, so it's always good to, 
to get that. I've actually been caught out a few times because often I was seen at Woolies at uh, 11.30 at night before my walk the next day. And that's fine at Woolies, you can still shop or you could have before coronavirus, but um, the uh, alcohol shops shut a bit earlier. So, you know, sometimes I miss out on my bottle of port, unfortunately. That's very good tip and uh, great for the people who are walking with you and who get to share that port with you. So when it comes to weight, would you say you are more on a minimalist side and a light weight uh, packer or what would you say? I'd say I'm, I'd say I'm on the simple side. I try to keep things pretty basic. Um, you know, probably one of you know, my pack itself is, is canvas. So it's, you know, on the heavier side, it's very tough though. It's very simple. doesn't have, it's got one big pocket. One pocket on the front and one pocket at the lid, that's it. So none of this extra fancy stuff. Um, it weighs a little bit, but not too much. You know, it works quite well for what it is. doesn't have a big frame in it, metal frame, you know, things like that. Um, from my clothing perspective, I don't have the fanciest clothes, but I just don't take much. You know, I pretty, keep pretty simple. We've got, you know, one pair of socks, one pair of underpants extra, and then some warm tops and bottoms, um, and that's generally enough. Uh, take a raincoat when I need it, those sort of things. Um, but I, I generally try and have multi-use for a lot of my items. So, for example, often, uh, you know, I, I'll take a poncho um, as my raincoat and it can also serve as a shelter if it's going to rain. So, uh, you know, that's a, a really good uh, weight saving there because often people have a big tent of something of that nature or they'll have uh, or end they'll also have a big um, raincoat. Now, if it pours down rain, it's not going to be much fun. But to be honest, most of the time it doesn't pour down rain when you go out bushwalking. And if it does, well, tough luck. And I find that I get so much more enjoyment out of having a light, lighter pack um, because it's just easier to walk, so much easier to walk, better for your body as well than having those extra things. I've never really regretted those extra things. You know, I don't have a fancy sleeping mat. Um, you know, it's just a piece of foam that it can't break. And it does the job. Um, I've got a good quality sleeping bag. That's probably the most expensive thing that I have. It's very light, though. It's not that warm. So that means that you have to be careful when it's going to get cold and uh, make sure you've got a few extra layers. And probably the shelter is a bit more controversial one. I don't really take a tent anymore. Um, generally, I don't take anything to sleep under um, because... It's not going to rain and it's lovely to look up at the stars. So I'll just have what's called a piece of Tyvek. It's um, sort of like a plasticky, uh, papery fabric and it's waterproof that I, I put down on the ground, a big sheet of that, and I can lie on top of that. It starts to drizzle a little bit. I can wrap myself up in it. If it pours rain, well, I might get a little bit wet. Um, but if I think it's going to rain, then I'll take a lightweight, what we call a fly. It's just like a tarp and you string it up and it keeps you protected from the rain. Um and you can save a lot of weight just by following a few of those simple things. Even from a cooking's perspective, I don't take a stove. I'll just have a, a lightweight aluminium billy um, and then I'll make a fire and I'll cook on that. You know, um, I just love love cooking on a fire. It's fantastic. And if you haven't done it before, you're missing out. You know, um, And it, it just saves weight and really makes you feel like you're bushwalking. Well, don't we all love a good fire when we are camping? That's That's a good point, Alex. And uh, when you say multi-usage of the same gear, is there something inspired you or over the years you learned from other people? How did that come about uh, for you? 
that you started using same thing for different purposes as you explained uh, now? Yeah, look, I think it just came out of necessity. I was just taking too much stuff. I used to have a really big backpack and I'd shove all this stuff and it was a um, I think an 85-litre backpack, which is just absolutely massive. Wow. No need for one of those, you know. I could fit you in it. Um, it was that big. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was that really It is com- a big backpack. <laughs> it was is. it for a day park yeah, or yeah. a multi-day? Not, not quite a day. <laughs> well, it was for overnight walks and it was so big it would reach up against the back of my head and I couldn't even look back. It was that big. Um, that sounds like my backpack <laughs> when I started walking. <laughs> and that was, that was it. I just went out and bought a fancy backpack. I didn't really know what I was doing. But um, since then, I've seen the folly in my ways and gone with something a, a lot smaller but also tougher. Um, but, you know, when I had all that space, I could take lots of stuff. And just by having a smaller backpack, it makes you really think because you've got to leave stuff out. You've got to pack your backpack and it just doesn't all fit in. If you've, got a, if you've got a massive backpack, you can end up having 30 kilos or 25 kilos or whatever. But if you've got a small backpack, well, you've got to leave stuff behind. Um, that's true that same thing happens when I'm traveling so I agree I'm sure it'd be it's similar so one piece of advice is if people are trying to cut down their weight cut down the size of your backpack and you work out what you really need and what you really don't because you might need things like water but again don't go overkill with water I carry a water bottle that's a liter and a half and that does me plenty of good because the areas I go walking you're always crossing creeks. We drink out of the creeks straight. You know, you can purify the water if you want. There's plenty of water around um, unless it's been, you know, big drought or something and then you're a bit more cautious. But I've never run into trouble and it's uh, way different from um, carrying, you know, four litres because each litre of water is a kilo and uh, That's that right. That's adds right. up very quickly. Yeah. Thank you, Alex. And uh, how would you suggest uh, the new walkers in Australia, for example, if they want to go walking, what would you, be your advice to them? Yeah, look, um, get out there is really important, but it's important to make sure you know what you're doing um, because depending on what sort of, you know, there's two reasons. One is safety. You know, if you don't really know what you're doing, you can get yourself into trouble. Um, it's easy to get lost in some areas, you know, easy to hurt yourself and, and not really, you know, have assistance when you need it. But I think the biggest thing is you're not going to have as much fun if you don't really know what you're doing. You'll get there eventually. Um, but I've just found if you've got someone that knows what they're doing, you know, whether it's a friend, a friend can be really good. If you've got a friend that really knows what they're doing, been bushwalking, a bit more experienced than you, that's great. Locals are really good to resource off. Ask them about what track, ask them about gear. But I always recommend that people join a bushwalking club. Um, the reason is they're cheap. Okay, my club costs $35 a year for me to be a member of, um, which is nothing really in the scheme of things. And there's walks on every single weekend and during the week. So I've always got people I can go walking with and they go all over the place. They go all over all over Australia on lots of really interesting walks that often if you went with a tour group, you'll pay thousands for, you know, and this, is, right. this is for free. You just got to pay, you know, your flights and those sort of things. And your food and um you know hang out with the party but there's just so much knowledge in these groups and they're always willing to share and i've actually made a lot of you know really good friends um through these clubs uh and i just think they're a great way to be safe and also have fun and then from there once you get some experience 
you can go off and do what you want. You can go off and start doing more adventurous trips or start taking out your own friends and things like that. But by then you'll have a bit of knowledge and you would have known a few tracks and things of that nature and maybe picked up a few tips. And often you just see it from watching others, you know. Uh, food's a great one. We, I'm always learning stuff by, you know, having, you know, sitting down, going on walks with other people and just looking at what they bring out. You go, oh, great, this is, you know, really interesting. Recent walk, someone brought out, you know, snow peas. Oh, never thought about that. Oh, interesting. They taste all right. Okay, maybe I could take some snow peas. Nice and easy, a little snack. You're always getting these ideas and inspiration of people. So, you know, the more people that you mingle with, the uh, more you're going to learn my philosophy anyway and the more likely are you're also going to find some really good bushwalking friends that's a very good advice alex thank you and we'll come back to you on more topics afterwards thank you We all have our reasons to go bushwalking. For example, sometimes people go for fitness, sometimes they like the area they're trying to explore, so those are the exploratory walks. And sometimes we just go because our friends want us to go with them or our family takes us there. So, Alex, in that case, what would be your reason to go bushwalking? Adventure. Adventure, he says. Very good. Can you elaborate on that? Uh, look, um, I think... Yeah, there's a few things, but adventure is often at the heart of that. Um, I just find it a great place to have adventures. Um, adventures are really interesting. It's not something many people get to have in life, I guess. That's um, true. I find that when I travel, I find the element of adventure, yes. I d- we are lucky to have that. Yeah. Look, um, life you know you go to work you come home you do things regularly you know what's going to happen there's nothing too much out of the box that generally happens but when you go bushwalking especially when you do what's called an exploratory walk which is when you go go somewhere where you haven't been before or no one in your group has been it's an adventure you're exploring um things go wrong you might get a little bit lost. When I say lost, you know, not that you don't know completely where you are, but you may not be able to find the thing that you're looking for, for example, like a track or a pass. You might be scrambling around on top of cliffs or special rocks, amazing rocks called pagodas and get stuck at the top and can't get down the way you want to get down and you have to backtrack and spend a bit of time mucking around with ropes and hand lines and helping people down little drops and up things and squeezing through bits and it's an adventure you know i've been on overnight walks um where we the aim was just to walk up a creek that was it you know we came down a ridge and we walked up a creek and we knew we could come down the ridge but we had no idea whether we could get up the creek because there were all these waterfalls some small waterfalls and then some really big waterfalls and the small waterfalls would poke around, try and look for ways to get around them. And there were some amazing little squeezes and tunnels that we had to crawl through. It was just a group of three of us. And um, we had to sort of make a, you know, someone climbed up first with the help of someone else. So they were standing on their shoulders. And then, the, you know, we pushed them up and they set up a little rope and then we could get everyone else up. And we weren't even sure if we could get to the top of it. Wow. And on that uh, note, uh, Alex has actually done 12 days exploratory walk in Wollamai National Park in New South Wales by himself. Haven't you, Alex? Yeah, that's it. That was um, 
it's great fun. Obviously, all burnt now, and I'd love to go out and have a look at it again. But um, that was a real adventure. You know, I, I was first long walk by myself, which was interesting. Um, you know, I, I didn't know what it'd be like, whether you'd go crazy of not being able to talk to anyone or you'd sing songs to yourself, which I did a little bit, you know, in a past time, or whether I'd be really bored. And I definitely wasn't bored because all I had was a map and compass to navigate and, you know, no GPS and you just have to know where you are all the time because that place there is pretty easy to get lost if you don't know what you're doing. So no GPS, Alex, you say, because I, I see a lot of people even experienced bushwalker carrying GPS with them. So did you feel scared when you were there or worried about your safety in yeah. that regard? Yeah, look, so I don't I don't carry a GPS. Um, if I got into big trouble, I could probably use my phone to try and work out where I was. But I tend to try and practice and, and make use of um, a map and compass because I feel much more in touch with what's going on. You're really looking at the terrain. And look, in that sort of area, a GPS isn't going to help you too much um, because the difficulty is not roughly where you are, but how you get from one place to another and there's a canyon in between. I mean, the canyons are these big cliffs where rivers come through and you've got cliffs either side. It's like a big gorge and um, it's about how you navigate through them, find little passes down and, and how much do you push yourself? You find the place that might look like it might go, but it might be a little bit dangerous to climb up do you climb up or do you search for another one you know that's all part of the adventure but for me when i'm by myself people do worry about me so i have a little device called a spot tracker which actually tracks me every five minutes it sends off to a satellite it's got a little gps in it i can't work out where i am from it but everyone else on the internet knows where i am every five minutes and if i do get into trouble there's some buttons that i can push to say i'm in trouble or i'm in a little bit of trouble or i'm okay um so that's really quite reassuring for other people and, and a little bit for me to know that people can help me if I do get into trouble. Yeah. Very good, uh, Alex. So those who are listening, uh, advice is don't go alone if you don't know how to use Map and Compass. It's a great skill to have, but it takes time to build it. So idea is you can go with people, bushwalking, and take Map and Compass and practice before you go alone like Alex because he has been walking for years and years and he has a very good knowledge of how to look at terrain and find out, figure out where he is. Isn't it, Alex? Yeah, that's it. You know, other good ways actually related to, um, you know, it, it just carrying a map and compass when you're going on a walk and trying to use it's great. But there's an activity called uh, rogaining. It's very similar to orienteering and essentially get a big map. Um, you're in groups of two to four people and you get a certain time limit. So uh, three, six, uh, 12 or 24 hours, um, 24 hours is quite fun. You get that time limit to go off and go to as many checkpoints as you, as you can. So your map's got all these checkpoints on them. Um, they've got a certain number of points each and it's almost impossible to get to all of them in one go. So you have to sort of plan where you want to go and all you have is a, is a compass, no GPS. And that's a really good way to practice navigating because you just got to, you can go any way you want between two checkpoints, you know, and and it's just about how fast you can do it. And it's not so much how fast you can walk because you can be a really fast walker but terrible navigator. And often some some quite old people that compete in, in row gaining and it's just amazing how good they are because they're very consistent. They just walk consistently and they can just navigate the whole time. And 
They very rarely make mistakes, but it's a fantastic way to build your confidence um, and, and skills in a safe environment as well. And it's quite fun as well because there's a lot of people who you might know, might meet in the activity and you have a team. So just like Alex said, I also participated with a friend. But unlike Alex, I wasn't competing to win because he wins with his team most of the years, don't you, Alex? And <laughs> um, uh, yes, he's very good at it. But me and my friend, our aim was to just practice our navigation skill, as Alex mentioned, and just to have fun because... It's you can participate during the whole period of the event or you can choose a couple of hours for yourself to just get out there and practice navigation. The adventure part of um, bushwalking is great, but there's also other reasons why I want to go bushwalking. And I think a, a large part of it is the mental health side and just how enjoyable and refreshing it is to be in nature, to be out there and see the trees and the animals and just be part of it. And, you know, I really feel it when I go on an overnight walk um, because it's, it's just a more immersive experience. You're there for a, at least two days, you know, so a full cycle. You spend a night in the bush. You sit out. You look up at the stars. And often if you go out west a bit further away from the cities, you see just an amazing sky that you don't normally see. And even if you do have an amazing sky at home, you don't normally see it at home because you're normally inside. And you get to see these beautiful sunsets, which you don't normally see because you're outside. And, um, you know, they're some of the reasons as well why I go bushwalking on that nature side. It's just amazing. You know, going to places that don't get visited very often is very special. Seeing, you know, different species and different ecosystems. And you can really tell I'm starting to try and learn a bit more about vegetation and, and that sort of thing. You know, I've got a big fat book. Uh, weighs about half a kilo that I've taken on a few walks. That, Alex, yeah. try to give that book to me every time we go walk, walking. I refuse to carry it in my backpack. But hoping we will actually carry this still with us in future. Yes, it's um, it is quite large, but it just goes to show the number of uh, the variety of, of plants we have in New South Wales and Sydney. Um, but you know, another side of it, especially, yeah, I would say we should get an electronic book so we don't have to carry a electronic book. Oh, well, you know, I try and avoid using my electronic systems when I'm in the bush. I oh, try to get away from true, that. That's true. I don't even have a watch, you know. I, I use a light, a head torch, but that's about it. But, look, um, one of the other reasons is the social side. I just love getting out there with some friends and, and especially people I've met through um, Bushwalking Club I'm part of. Um, it's just great to be out there and have a good chat and laugh and joke and, you know, learn some new things as well. Um, and you, you really do learn a lot. You learn a lot about other people. Um, you get to know them better. Um, and, you know, it's just, yeah, really special. So there's a few, you know, the adventure, um, the nature side and the social side, I think, are all reasons why I go bushwalking. And depending on the walk, you know, different parts will be more prevalent. Um, and sometimes I choose certain walks to, you know, do certain things. It might be more a social walk or more about the location or more about adventure or a bit of a mix. Great. Thank you, Alex. We have come to the end of the episode one. This is our first attempt at making a podcast. 
related to bushwalking. Today we learned about bushwalking as well as uh, our, our guest, Alex Olchin. Uh, thanks for coming to for the interview, Alex. Thank you, Kavita, for having me on as the uh, first guest. And I'd, I'd love to be back in future because I can talk about bushwalking forever. Yes, and that would be lovely. And to our audience, as this is our first episode and we are just starting this journey of podcast because we realize there's not many podcasts about bushwalking in Australia we have that we can listen to or can relate to on our spare time and learn from. So it will be great to have some feedback from friends and uh, our audience, whoever is listening, and hopefully we can keep uh providing you with new episodes regularly. So our uh, frequency still be, would be, uh, we are deciding weekly, once a week we'll uh, publish our podcast. Thank you and goodbye. See you next week.